You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I have seen things that nobody would see. Been on one island and when we walked, the whole floor moved. It was like sand. It was all dull brown and it moved. They were millions upon millions of baby chicks. I lived on a yacht for 14 years, travelled to New Guinea and did all the islands, did all the islands from down south, Cairns, all the way up to here. I have seen things that most people wouldn't have seen. When I think of iconic, colourful characters from the region, a number of people spring to mind. However, none more so than Eva Cantrell. Old-time Nullumboy residents will remember Eva for her trademark colourfully decorated hats. For people newer to the area, you may recognise her from the markets, where she sells her photographs and beautifully handmade goods. But behind her creative exterior, Eva is so much more. This woman has affected countless lives of people who grew up in the region, myself included, and continues to affect the lives of young people, perhaps without them even knowing. Because without Eva Cantrell, there would be no skate park. Eva created a space for young people to enjoy together. Now, for years, I wondered where this larger-than-life woman came from and how she ended up here. And today, I feel so honoured. I get to share the absolutely incredible tale of the legendary Eva Cantrell. This is the story of the woman who could, who did. Now, just to get things rolling, a little bit of housekeeping. First up, thank you so much for clicking on this podcast. My name's Monica O'Hanlon, and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say. Everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Yungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 40,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullumboy, a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people whether they're from here or just passing through, I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. We bumped into each other at the market the other day and I've always known about you. You've always had those incredible hats growing up, but I've never known your story. I know some, we're going to be talking about the skate park and stuff a little bit later, but I'm curious, where were you born? In England. Really? I was born during the war. Really? Where the bombing of London, when they blitzed London, I was born. 
exit of Devonshire. I came out, um, I was starving after the war and they shoved me into a home and my brother to fatten me up because we were all skinny kids. And then I came out on the ranch. That was its last trip. They scrapped it after that. And I came up with my parents and they held us up in the Suez Canal for six weeks with armed guards on the deck because of the problems. And then I arrived in Sydney and the papers took a photo of me with all my rag curlers in my hair, old-fashioned way they did, pointing towards Sydney. Must be in the archives in some paper somewhere. And um, uh, we went into a big round galvanised iron shelters with lots of other people and then my father got a job and we went to Lithgow and then we got a car and caravan and we travelled up the coast. So what year What year did you come over from England? Or how old were you roughly? I turned five on the boat. Okay. And I'm 77 now so you have to go back. Okay. And so you guys drove up from, where were you driving to? We were just driving up the coast. We went to, uh, I think the first place we went to was Lake Entrance and then Port Macquarie. I left school when I was 13 and a half and I went to work pea picking and bean picking to make money for my parents. And um, I was good at it. The woman that was the top picker in New South Wales um, showed me. The guy asked me to work for a week for nothing to see if I was any good because I was only 13. And I said, how do you do it? And she showed me, and I became the second fastest picker in, in New South Wales. <laughs> wow. Mm. Where were you based when you were doing the picking? Cateye, out of Port Macquarie. And so you started, you, you quit school, and I guess back in those days that probably wasn't that unheard of. Um, school in Queensland, um, this was in Queensland now, in uh, the, the Cateye, going with a boss gang, a gang and the boss hired me to go out. I didn't do well at school. I used to wag school all the time because I'm a bit dyslexic and I couldn't do maths or anything like that. I was good at what I liked. I refused to do the rest. I didn't care what they thought of me. I was a bit too far ahead of my time, I think. I got expelled for drawing naked ladies and all that stuff. (laughs) Um, uh, I hated school with passion. I was excellent at art. I used to write beautiful poetry. And uh, I didn't like, I, was go- I got all the leading parts in drama, in the plays. I used to take the class for reading. I was the best reader. They were all hopeless. <laughs> I, I just didn't do well. And, and then I, they left school in those days at 14 years old in Queensland. And I was 13 and a half, so I left school. And then that year they put it up to 15 and my brother wasn't 15. He was so angry. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) He was so angry. (laughs) And I went, I started work. I just did work. I went to work in St. Hilda's school and I worked in the kitchens. And from there, we went further up north to Southport. And I worked in um, a lot of hotels. Doing what? Everything. Waitressing. uh, Housemate. Uh, housemaid waitress, her <coughs> kitchen hand, everything. Wow. I learned everything. And I was good at whatever I did. I was a good worker. I had, I, I seemed to have, I used to bullswool my way into jobs. 
I went to work in the surface, the Cathay Cathay, a Chinese restaurant in the middle of Surface Paradise, and this guy who owned it, tall, good, oh, good looking, Richard. <laughs> I was only 15. And he came out, he said, have you ever done this before? And I said, yes, quite a lot of times. <laughs> and I said, the only thing is I'll probably need them to show me because every place you go, it's different, isn't it? I've never done it before in my life. Um, he was very good to me. I became good at it. And the head waitress said, you've not done this before, have you? I said, shh. <laughs> and, um, Where, so were you still living with your parents at this point? Or had yes, you I was in a caravan. Ah, okay. In a caravan park. So they kind of moved around a fair bit. Yes, we became a little bit more stable now. We stopped at many places. It's very hard. I, um, you know, I did millions of things in between that. Yeah. And then um, I went from down south with my parents. I left and I went to, they were in Southport, um, staying in the Miami Caravan Park just out of near surface and I got a bus up to Cairns I arrived in Cairns with uh, $10 in my pocket and I went to the police and I asked them where can I stay the cheap then I went into town and they wanted someone to work at the Pacific Hotel I saw the boss there and, and the woman in the office said you'll have to wait she said she's busy you might need a four-hour wait I said I'll wait well you can go and come back I said no someone might come and take the job well I'm gone I want the job I've got no money so I got the job as dining room manageress and I said you know this is no she was going to put me in the kitchen mm -hmm. and I said no I'm not doing that <laughs> I can put you in the dining room as dining room manageress, it's a la carte. Have you ever done that? I said, no, I wouldn't have a clue. So anyway, she said, oh, well, I'll show you. Now, you have to understand being dyslexic figures is not my, <laughs> not my thing. So anyway, I went in there and I had five girls under me and I used to get the check with all what they ordered and I used to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and add up dot by dot. And the boss was standing over me and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm adding up the bill. She said, there was no tills and things in those days. Mm -hmm. This is, you add it all up, all the waitresses added up. There's no such thing as all these marvellous things you have now. And she said, excuse me, excuse me, she said. She took it and she said, I'll just check it. I don't believe this is right. And she handed in at the office and it was a big long one. I uh, had six, it was a six table. Wow. They were all air hostesses and <laughs> snobbies. Oh, they're rude. And anyway, and they checked it and she come back. She said, it's right. I don't know how you did it. And then I said, right, I want free meals, please. I can't afford to buy them. I said, you can deduct it out at the end of the week when I get paid. She said, I can't pay you for two weeks. So I went over to the chemist, Moynihan's chemist over the road, and I said, I've got no money. I went to this... Douglas guest house I said I've got no money I can't pay you. I need a place to sleep a room and they gave me one and I said I'll pay you off I said I'm if I say I'm trustworthy it sounds like you won't trust me so I said I will pay you so I said and I went to Moynihan's so I said to Mr Moynihan in charge of it I said I don't have any money I need a pair of white shoes and I said I need a few you know what's a heavy things mm -hmm. and um I bought some wheat bix and I lived on wheat bix and powdered milk for a week and until I got paid then I started paying them off 
then after a while, I mean, I worked on and off. I did a lot of this sewing there. When I got sick, I nearly died with plenty of poisoning pork in my stomach. And then I got a job and I went to the Palmer River. Where's that? Is that still near Cairns? Um, yes, that's up the coast, up right the coast. up the coast, on the way to Port Douglas. Ah, okay. And I went there and it was a roadhouse and I had to learn to pull petrol and add up beers and things in the bar and, oh, my God. And, and the, the truckers there taught me how to tell bush stories, lies, you know, have them on. <laughs> and people would come in and this guy come in, this is so funny. And he said, uh, can I have a 4X, please? And, you know, and what else was he doing? I'm sorry. sorry. I said, we haven't got any of that here today. He said, oh, we carried all beers. He said, oh, I'll, I'll have a Victoria better then. I said, no. I said, There's ju- we've just had somebody come in from the outstations. They've ordered it all and they're taking it for a party tonight. <laughs> oh, so can I have this? I turned him down on five beers. He said, oh, don't worry about him. I, Hang on a minute. Just having you on. And then two girls come in and this girl said, she said, um... Can I have an orange drink and a uh, a Mars bar, whatever it was? I said, no, I'm sorry, you can't. I said, uh, they're all taken. There's somebody coming in after to buy them. I said, I haven't got any Coca-Cola or whatever she wanted. And the other girl said, oh, well, we'll have uh, such and such. I said, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't give you that either. <laughs> and, well, I have a tomato sandwich. I said, no, I said, the trucks never came in and we've run all out of tomatoes and cheese and everything. <laughs> and my boss is sitting there she dared me to do it and she's laughing like anything <laughs> anyway they went to walk out and I called them back of course it was alright and then on my days off I used to go and work at the mines and drive big front end loaders oh wow and shift dirt and stuff to put in the hopper and this guy says to me I said to this guy, you have to show me about four or five times because this big front-end loader, um, the scraper on one end used to keep dropping and you had, had to drive it backwards, you see. <laughs> anyway, he said to me, now, this guy at the top said, don't you fucking drop that bloody tip truck on me, that, you know, the, sho- the shovel. Hmm. He said, or otherwise I'll bloody well jump up and go off. So he said, I'll be watching. So anyway, <laughs> and the wheels were like big wheels out the mine site here they're monsters yeah they could make two of me in height you know and so i said i made him do five trips with me he said it's your turn so i had to keep on the gears were all back to front you see so i moved the gears you see and kept lifting up the scraper so it wouldn't push on the ground wing <laughs> and i got to it and i had this big shovel and it was full of dirt it was up in the air and i had to get the right gear levers and I'd only just been doing it for about three quarters of an hour, you know. And he said, I'm watching you, lady. He said, you make sure you put that effing thing down right. He said. <laughs> anyway, it, I was letting it boom, boom, slowly bit by bit and it jagged and it hit it. And he jumped about two foot off the, off the, <laughs> off the platform. At least he didn't fall off of it. And I got good at that. I used to go and do that. So how how old were you uh, when you were doing that? Um, in my late 30s. In your late 30s. <coughs> so you stayed in that, like, around Cairns area for a while then? A long time. Yeah. So I'm curious. Then I went out in a, in a trawler. Oh, wow. On a trawler. You worked on a trawler yes, as well? Yes, I did. I, I, wor- I went up and worked in Wells Carpentaria Prawn Factory, mm-hmm. and I used to do sorting and pricing for the prawns for the boats to come in. 
And then I, I also went out on a trawler and worked as a decky. Mm-hmm. And I made them make it a dry boat. Oh, so no, no grog. No grog, no. And they all had to treat me with respect. And if That's they came good. in, if they came in the in the in um, where I was cooking, they weren't allowed to swear. If I went out where they were, they could swear. If I went out on, if I was on the deck and they came on the deck, they weren't allowed to swear. They, I had rules. And all of those rough fishermen, prawn fishermen, used to treat me with the greatest respect and try and get me to leave and go and work for them. And the other girls that worked for them, they used to pick hold of them and throw them in the water where the crocodiles were and everything. <laughs> yes, when I go out on the boats, <laughs> and the guys would always pick me up and carry me ashore. I wouldn't have to walk in the water. <laughs> and the other girls had to, and they used to throw them over the side of the boat. And uh, they used to call them terrible things, that motherfuckers. <laughs> They just would screw anything and get around with only a pair of pants on. Now, on the boat I worked at, I only wore a pair of pants, but the guys were sleeping, all right? And uh, I used to catch fish. And I used to sit in a great big container and have a big bath and or else I'd put fish in it and watch the fish swimming around. And I enjoyed myself on the trawlers. I, I worked from Cairns all the way up to Princess Charlotte Bay and all the islands, the whole lot. It was a really fun time of my life. It was different. I was good at sorting. Sort on the trays. You'd get octopus and snakes and and uh, a lot of it went over the side. And then they tied a big rope around my waist and let me go over the back and throw fish over the back. The first six uh, big fish are dolphins. And after that are sharks. And when they don't get any more fish, so much fish, the dolphins go and the sharks move in. And you do not want to fall over the side then. That's why the rope was around me. And I've never seen anything in all my life. I saw whales and all types of sharks. And um, I saw so many things. We went on one island and I couldn't believe it. And I wished I'd have been a photographer then. There was at least, they said, we're going to take you where there's lots of pelicans. They used to come up from down south, all the foreigners, the Greeks or the Yugoslavs, whatever they are, and they used to kill all the pelicans and take them back down south and sell them as turkeys. And they nearly wiped them out. And she's, he said, now, he said, all the trawlers watch and keep watch over them. And um, uh, these great big, uh, there was about 10 on this small little tiny uh, island. And there was these nests and there would maybe be seven or eight sticks and some were big eggs, big like an emu's egg. And then some had babies out of them and standing there wobbly with not many legs. I I have seen things that nobody would see. Being on one island and when we walked, the whole floor moved. It moved. The sand, it was like sand. It was all dull brown and it moved. They were millions upon millions of baby chicks and you had to look down to where you trod. I have seen things that no man would see. I lived on a yacht for 14 years, travelled to New Guinea and did all the islands, did all the islands from down south, Cairns all the way up to here and um, all, all these islands are all up around here. I have seen things that most people wouldn't have seen. Wow. Have you? Is that how you ended up here? Yes, it is. Yes, I got breast cancer. Mm. And um, I, um, my partner uh, played up behind my back and got another woman. 
and I decided that it was time I left. And so we came to Gove and I put my name down for a government house. And so they found, they couldn't find me one yet, but I got a job back in Groot Island and I went back to Groot Island. And then I stayed there for about seven months, housekeeping, two little boys. And then I came back and they got me, they rang me and they said, we've got you your flat here. And that's where I am now. And when I moved into this flat, I had uh, about seven or eight sheets that the country and uh, women's had given me over there. And I had some pillars and I went to Woolworths here and I bought another four pillars and I made, I made a bed on the floor in my room and I laid on it and I burst out crying. And it was the first home. It was I was so frightened they would take it away from me. And I wouldn't have nowhere to go. Nowhere. Nothing. And uh, I came back. I had no one. And this woman helped me. She said, this happened to me. She said, Eva, she said, you don't need to ask if you can talk. She said, you talk, talk, talk. Why are you asking? Can I speak? And uh, I went to a doctor here for 12 months and got my head sorted out and became Eva Kentrell again, found myself. And then I decided I walked. This is the beautiful part now, I tell you. I walked across... I, after I found out I had the cancer and then I had this flat, got given this flat, which I loved, and I took on the gardening. And I slowly went to garage sales and bought things to put in it. And um, I walked, I used to wear long dresses and big flowery hats. It was my personality. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to walk from, that was when the post office was in town, I used to walk across there and there was about five kids there. And I walked past them many times. And um, anyway, I didn't bother with them. I went over the post office, got my mail. And then this one day, now I have only told this story to maybe, since it happened in many years, only five people. And uh, at least three of them literally laughed at me. Didn't believe it. But as I came back and walked across the square in town, a hand... I have second sight. I, I'm, I don't know. God gave it to me somehow. When you say second sight, do you mean like clairvoyant? I mean, I have feelings about things that will happen and see. I can see people who I look after and have died come visit me before they go. When I walked across, a hand got hold of me on my shoulder and said stop and turned me back to these children. And I walked over to them and then it said, and you need to write this down, the voice said. And the voice said, I've got it written down, at this particular time, list, these are the words, at this particular time in your life, this is what you are meant to do. You need to know that when I lived in Groot Island, before I came here, and I got, they diagnosed me with the... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cancer. I said to my girlfriend, my life is going to change and I don't know what's going to happen but it's never going to be the same again. I'm meant to do something. She says, what are you meant to do? I said, I don't know. But when it's put in front of me, I will know. And it was this, when I walked over to these children. And I said, what are you kids doing here? Oh, the coppers won't let us skate here. And we got skateboards. And this guy in town that was in running for, was part of part was going to get us a skate park and he didn't do it and nobody gets it and I said really what's a skateboard oh don't you know <laughs> there was about five kids one was 15 one was about 14 and the others were about 12 and I said really and and the voice had already said at this particular time in your life this is what you are meant to do and I just knew this is this was it. This is my job that he's given me to do. I'm not a Jesus, Jesus fan, don't get me wrong. I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. But I believe in a God. And anyway, I said, oh, well, I said, this lady in a long skirt and a funny hat is going to get you one. <laughs> Come on, let's go. And I went and made out five boards with five pencils. And I said, let's go up the top of the um, corporation and find out what I have to do to get a petition up. And that's how I began. And then I went to the schools one day. I got permission to go in when they're having roll call and got all the kids to come up and sign them and put their phone number and take these things home and get their father to, their father's phone up, father, the parents to sign it, put their phone number and bring them all back. Got the police to sign them. Got the drugs and alcohol to sign them. I got 300 signatures and uh, then I did all my homework about a skate park. I, I worked hard and I didn't have nothing. And Alcan gave me an old fashioned computer that you, I, I didn't know how to use it. I couldn't use it. I wrote all over Australia to all the Lions clubs and everywhere by hand letters. Mm-hmm. I wrote a newsletter for the kids by hand and photocopied them. I got them all, I used to prance them all up the top of the corporation, take their photos and get them a membership and have memberships. <laughs> and um, I had a board put up in town. Uh, I had to get $500 to open a bank account, and I did. I said, what are you going to call this thing? Anyway, the kids voted that they get called the Cantrell Skate Park, and the small one was Eva's Mini Park. And... Um, Anyway, and slowly but surely, uh, then I arranged a meeting. I got so big that Alcan had to have a meeting to decide. I made an appointment with Alcan to get land to build a skate park. And I hitchhiked out there. I made an appointment with the manager of Alcan. And I hitchhiked out there. I didn't have a car then. And I went early and they came in the office and they said, you're early. I said, well, 
he might be busy. I can't afford to miss him. And I sat in front of this guy. I said, I would like a piece of land for my kids to build a skate park. He laughed. He said, really? Is that right? I said, yes. And he said, oh. So he opened a big map. And he said, well, um, let me see. You could, you could have this block here and that block there. There's five blocks. I said, I don't want that one. That's out of town. And I, he said, there's this one up the corner here. That's where they built the uh, whatever the tree mm-hmm. with all those units. So I said, no, I don't want that one. It's right in the corner. It's dangerous for my kids. Well, we can put it in town in this square block of land here. This is where they built the Lions Park now. I said, no, 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 no. It'll drive the people mad. No, it's too far out of town. And he said, what about this one? I said, I want that one. And this is where it is. I said, I want it where people have to drive past and they can see what's going on. Oh, all right. So I said, when will I know when I can have it? (laughs) (laughs) He said, about five weeks. I said, no, that's too long. He said, four weeks. I said, no, that's no good either. I said, he said, three. I said, no, children don't have that amount of waiting time. He said, two, and that's my limit. I said, done. Give me a high five. (laughs) And then, of course... I used to raise money and sit over town every Saturday morning and raise money. I still remember it. It's crazy. Do you really? Yeah. Me sitting there. Yeah. Support the slab. Yeah. (laughs) What year was that? I don't know. If I knew when when the skate park opened, I'd tell you it was before then. We'll have to have a look. I'll I'll double check that. And um, then, of course, uh, there was that. And... um, the next important thing was I raised a lot of money and every week I used to put it in the, in the Arafura Times. We have raised such and such by donations this week. The raffle tickets were won by... But, but, but. We now have in the bank... I, every week I always told the public where their money... Oh, I always told the public every week where their money went. I never, ever hid it from them. I was good at getting grants. Mm-hmm. I was top at getting gr- I could get a grant just like that. Really? I could probably use your help. <laughs> and um, I knew how to do it. And they even came and we've complimented you on it to everybody and said, this is how it should be done. I said, really? <laughs> That's flattering. <laughs> and I used to have women ask me, can you do my grant? I said, no, I don't, I'm not doing your grant. I said, I'll tell you what to do, but I'm not doing it for you. You've got to learn to do it yourself. And um, I gradually my money started to go up and up. Then I approached the Aboriginal communities for money and got it. And I I went down and flew down to Townsville. This is a good part for the plans. What kind of skate park am I going to build? Because you didn't even know what a skateboard was when no, you first started. No, so that's I a big jump. No, <laughs> here's this lady in her 60s, doesn't know a bloody thing. <laughs> and so I went down there and I looked at the skate park in Townsville and I talked to the uh, rec officer, sports and rec officer, and I went to the one in Cairns and talked to him. And I said, I like your skate park. I got plans from all over Australia. I said, How can I get hold of the plans? He said, Well, he said, it's cost a lot of money, thousands, these are original plans. I said, Can't they fall off the back of a truck? I said, I'm a pensioner. You can't go charging me all money like that. I can't afford it. I'm doing this for my kid. My kids, I always call them my kids. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, this went on for six months and every week I'd send him my newsletter and photographs and everything. And then one day he phoned me, he said, Eva, he said, I got in touch with the guy finally that built the skate park and I explained it all to him. And 
guess what? They've fallen off the back of a truck, Eva. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> so I raced into the corporation. I said to Mike Kendall, the plans are here. They've fallen off the back of a truck. I need to introduce you to this guy in Cairns so you can get the plans. And I said to this guy, the sports and rec officer, this is Mike Kendall. Mike Kendall, this is do do do. Now it's up because I can't do it anymore. Mm. And they had to change all the plans over and put them in different name. And then I did wheeling and dealing for the builders to come from Brisbane. And they wanted to charge too much. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, I'm only a pensioner. They said, do you know what you are, Eva? And I said, no, what am I? All, all, the, all of the contractors here, when I used to raise money, you're a con woman, Eva. I got all free lighting. I got so much free stuff. <laughs> and um, and so there you are. I got all of that. And they came up from Brisbane and built the first park. They came up from Brisbane and built the second park. Bought all this stuff up from Brisbane. Bought it all on the barge and bought it from over. And built these two skate parks. These guys and charged me hardly anything. And uh, anyway, then of course... Uh, I started to run a fun night. That's right. Thursday fun night. This and was, there was music and stuff. This was eh? the only night that kids didn't have, I don't know, you know, biking and football and God yeah. knows what else. I forget. It's a long time ago. I, I forget all the fine details. Yeah, I that's all right. I don't know them anymore. You know, my life has changed. And uh, every Thursday night I take all the gear. Then I had to raise the money and get the money for a sound system. And I got Bose speakers. I got discounts in Darwin for them, and uh, I, I finally I got a discount for the for all the five CDs. Then I had to learn how to make illegal CDs. <laughs> Hannah, if you don't think that wasn't hard for me, and I looked at, anyway, I got an adult to show me a guy to show me the one guy here that did computers and everything showed me how to make. Um, uh, CDs from Russia. From Russia, I call them from Russia with love. They are bad ones, you know. You're not allowed to do it, but I did. And I used to. I learnt how to make CD covers, and I would get down there and put five CDs in, and I'd get out in the middle of the skate park and rock and roll, and I had my hat on and my, sh- my little tiny shorts and what have you and everything. And it. And they used to say, Eva, the boys laugh at you. I said, Is that a fact? I said, Really? I said, Well, I said, I'm not stopping. So anyway, gradually the boys came out with me. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? But um, the boys, smaller boys used to say to the bigger boys, you're not allowed to swear in here. Eva's an old-fashioned lady. Oh, right, and they never swore. I never had no swearing, no bad stuff in the park. Never, never. I had one, only, a girl with a knife, but I called the cops and that was it. Sometimes you get very odd one, something like that. It's nothing. But... They were all polite to one another. If I had a kid that crashed on the ground and really cut himself over and there's blood everywhere, oh, yeah, and he was crying, oh, yeah, baby, and I'd say, hold it. And I told them the story about soldiers at war when they used to have their legs and arms mangled and see it and see all the blood and the open flesh and the bone used to stick out. And I said they'd be so afraid they thought they were going to die and they'd be crying. And no other soldiers laughed at them. And I said, you don't laugh at your friends here that are hurting. You let him cry. You cry for five minutes. That helps let the pain out. That was my words. That helps let the pain out. 
and nobody bikes around the park, you all stop. And they did. They waited until the ambulance came or whatever and have you. And uh, anyway, a kid would fall down, he'd start crying and you'd hear it. Don't worry about crying, it'll let the pain out. It'll it'll help you, it's all right. Crying's okay, it helps. (laughs) I had, this was the most joyous times of my life with these children. Many times children came to me and needed help. One, I I guess you might say, uh, I had the drugs and alcohol there and I had the ambulance there every week because I get 100, 150, 200 kids there uh, at my fun nights. I used to raise money downtown centre and buy prizes for them. Never cost them anything. Then, of course... I had the little park by then, and the little park used to have little kids. uh, It was a very joyous time. It was really nice. And the best story I think I ever had, I stopped because my lady that used to cook all of the um, hot fish and chips and sell chocolates and cold drinks left. So I couldn't. And I had... My hip went, and uh, nobody wanted to help. And I, it's time I quit. And uh, but a little boy came up one day, and he was walking. Uh, many times this happened. Walking beside me, he'd only be about eleven. And I looked down, and I said, "Good day, here you go." And we were up the back ramps, and there was four girls following us, following him. And we sat down, and I said, "We'll have a talk." And I said to the girls, and put my hand up. You know the rules. What are the rules, please? I always made them repeat it. I never said no. You can't without saying why I said no. And they said, sorry, Eva. I said, why are you not allowed to stay? Because you're going to talk private and it's not our business. And they would go. And they go. And I said to this little boy, so I said, you're not very happy tonight, are you? And he said, no. (laughs) Here's a little squirt. (laughs) Jesus. All the kids are busy skating in front of us. And he said, I said, what's wrong? My mum and dad got divorced today. They don't love me. And who even now my my skin is all going goose pimples. And I thought, here is a little boy who doesn't understand why parents get divorced. Have they not told him why they're doing this? They should. And then I said, God, do you have to help me be Solomon? I was Solomon many times. And I said, well, I said, have you ever had a boyfriend? where you used to have run to school together and have play lunch together and have lunch together and come home and play games together, sleep over, always was with one another because you just loved being together so much. And then one day you said to your friend, do you want to come down to the creek? And he said, no. And you said to him, you want to come and have a sleepover? He said, no. And you asked him, do you want to come and do something? And he said, no. And you said, no. And you kept doing this. I said, and then now you have parents. And I said, dad says to mum, you want to come to the barbecue this weekend? And mum says, no, I don't feel like it. And mum says, I've got to go out and take the boys to cricket. Do you want to come? And dad says, no. I said, they still love each other, but they just don't want to do the same things together. They don't get on so good anymore. You're still friends with your friend? And he said, yes. Do you like him? I said, yes. And I said, mum and dad still like them and they love you very much. But they can't live together anymore. So I said, anyway, who are you staying with, your mum or your dad? Because I don't pussyfoot. I'm staying with dad. I said, so where did mum ping off to? She went down south. 
I said, ah, right. I said, you see all those kids out there in front of us? And he said, yes. I said, well, you look at them. I said, there's lots of kids out there that I know who've only with dad, mum's gone, or they're with mum and dad's gone. They only have one parent, just like you. But I said, do you know the good thing about, <laughs> do you know the good thing about this? And he said, no. I said, well, when it comes to Christmas, you get two presents, one from mum and one from dad, and you go on two holidays, one with mum and one with dad. I said, how about that? He said, I never thought of that. I said, would you like a boy hug? Because there's girls and boy hugs. He said, yes, please. So I give him a boy hug. And he stood up and I said to him, if you ever want to come and talk to me again, you can. And he ran off laughing. He was right. Never saw him again. It's pretty incredible. You um, obviously had, well, you did, you had a huge effect on so many young people back in the day. You always, everyone knows who you are. So it's an absolute honour to have you here on the podcast. I have my, my boys, my 14 and 12 year old boys. I have my 14 and 12 year old boys now come to my house to fix my electricity or, or carpentry or something. And they said, G'day, Eva, how are you going? I said, Jesus, you've grown. He said, I'm a qualified tradesman now, Eva. He said, I remember all your talks in the park. This is what you do. I used to give them motherly talks. And no, no one was allowed to talk, not even a whisper. <laughs> or I'd say, I'd shake my ear and say, what's going on? And now, and they were all grown up and they always remembered it. Isn't that good? And you also have people that are giving, fixing your electricity now that you've obviously, <laughs> you've helped them so now they can help you. Yes. Lastly, can I ask What's kept you in northeast Arnhem Land? I live on my own. I find that here I have everything. I have the beaches within reach, which I love. I have the beaches within reach, which I love. I have, I do photography, so I sell my photography. I do, I do all local photography. I love it. That's my hobby. I work for two days a week over the op shop. I send and box boxes and boxes of clothes and I get all free uh, aeroplane flights and on Swift to take clothes out to the Aboriginal communities where the women have nothing. And my lounge room looks like an op shop. I'll never be tidy. And um, I like doing this. I'm happy here. People search all their lives for a place to live where they'll be happy. And then they always say, oh, come on, I've had enough of this. Let's move. We will find something. I'm sick of this. I don't have to do that. I'm on the crest of the hill. And I have, God has given me everything that I love. And I can honestly say, that my life here has taught me and given me and I've learnt so much. And everything I've experienced in my life has only given me more gifts. Okay? I don't know how else to say it. I love Gove with a passion. I love, I love life with a passion and I love people. I love what I do. My life now is helping the people in the outstations at close. Uh, it's now it's my turn to help the problems at the skate park that's going on because it's pretty bad at the moment and I will do this for a couple of months and then I will fade back again 
because I'm not a young girl anymore. Huh? Right. I meet people <laughs> like you, and I think how lucky I am. I have people in town that that I've had that if I haven't contacted them straight away, they've got the police and had the police break down my door because they thought I might have fainted in my house. How lucky am I to have a friend like that? One person said, that's disgusting. I said, no, it's not. I'm privileged and honoured to have a friend who will go to such lengths. I had my friend in Alabama in America ring up the police and the hospital because I hadn't talked to them for four days. They thought I was sick and something had happened to me. Do you not think this is so beautiful? Absolutely. That somebody can think and be so caring? I am very lucky, lady. I have a nice home. I love, I've got everything I want. I have lovely friends. I have got the kids now. I'm lucky, you know. I really am. Well, you're an incredible woman, Eva. So many childhood memories. We we all, all of, I like all of us, I know we, we speak about you a lot. It's interesting. <laughs> and you don't even know who we are. It's because you've affected so many people. You're like the... Pied Piper, except in a good way. <laughs> what are you hoping for in the future? Do you have any goals or dreams? Only to be... My goals and dreams are to continue to be strong, to be able to help people and continue to work at the op shop and get the clothes and things that Amy Mortimer, the manageress, lets me have to send out to these women in the communities that have nothing. They have nothing. Look what I have, what we have in town. And to stay healthy, strong enough to do all of this. I would like to travel a little bit now. Now I'm older, before I'm too old to do it. Just love life. I love life. What else do I need? So true. No. I don't want a man in my life. <laughs> uh, Eva, thank you so much for coming in and it's been an absolute pleasure. I I feel uh, I feel blessed that I've I know your story now because I've been wondering for years. So it's an it's an honor to have you on and yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have met you and to try and do this with you. Please make a good job of this. Don't, <laughs> don't make it sound too soppy and wishy-washy. <laughs> I'll do my best. That was the 15th episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. What a ride it has been so far. So many interesting and inspiring people in the region. Now, if you or someone you know would like to share a story... All my contact details are in the show notes. As usual, I need to say a huge thank you to Gove FM. Without this incredible station, this podcast would not be possible. And of course, I need to thank you guys for hanging out. I'm Monica O'Hanlon. That was Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. I'll see you next week. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.